0: The Forest with Ryan Mayer. In this episode, Patricia Martin interviews Ryan Mayer, MA, LMHC, LCPC, and graduate of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago's Jungian Psychotherapy Program. Listeners may be interested in Ryan's presentation, The Forest, The Witch, and Pan, Psyche's Need for Wilderness and Enchantment, uh, for the Miss Salon on, on YouTube, which is mentioned in this interview and a link to that is in the show notes. Ryan Mayer is a licensed psychotherapist and graduate at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, where he concentrated his study on the treatment of trauma. Ryan worked with individuals and couples navigating significant life changes, personal and relational conflicts, and feelings of purposeless and lack of meaning. He is a member of the Breathe Network, the National Board of Certified Counselors, and the American Counseling Association. He is also an affiliate member of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago and presents regularly at the C.G. Jung Center in Evanston, Illinois. More information about Ryan's practice is available at his website, theinnerworldtherapy.com. Okay, now let's jump right in.
1: Hello, this is Patricia Martin, and I'm your host today for Jungi Anthology. In this episode, we're talking about panic culture and its ancient mythological roots, namely pan, and the forest. Joining me today uh, as my guest is Ryan Maher. Ryan is a psychotherapist in private practice in Seattle, and he works with adults experiencing anxiety, depression, and relationships concerns. He studied at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, where he got his master's degree. And then he continued his studies at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, right here, where he studied Jungian psychology, in the Jungian psychology program. He has special training in trauma recovery, and Ryan studies myth, symbols, and archetypes. And he's with us today to share what he knows about pan, panic culture, and the state of the collective. Hi,
2: Ryan. Welcome. Hi, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Now I should come clean and say you and I were in the um, JSP JPP program, which is uh, the the Jungian Studies program and the Jungian Psychology program, and so we know each other from there. And I was so intrigued. You just gave a talk, a virtual lecture about Pan, the forest, and some of the other um, archetypes that surround that. So I'm really delighted that you could make it and and join us today and talk a little bit more about what the symbolism is. I want to start with first of all I want to start with the forest if we could because I think that's a really rich setting to place pan into
2: before we get onto this business of panic culture. So let's start with the forest. That sounds great. I'm delighted to be here and I have such fond memories of our time together at the institute. Uh, You're right, the forest is a place of of rich symbolism, and I think that at its most essential, the forest is a symbol of the unknown.
1: Mm.
2: And in this this way, it's a place of mystery, uh, a place of wonder, which are things that I think a lot of people are longing to connect with today. And as a symbol of the unknown, the force is also a manifestation of the unconscious. Uh, Therefore, it holds great potential for self-discovery, for the journey of individuation. And we see this in myths and fairy tales and folklore in um, contemporary culture through film literature. I think even video games, uh, although I'm not steeped in that world, uh, it's my understanding that a lot of video games are set in the forest. I think of The Breath of the Wild, um, and and some other video games. So, it's 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 all around us. Uh, even at a time when forests are in great need, uh, tangibly of our attention and and our care. So,
1: yeah, I think that's true, right? And I think that you know, if let's say we're watching a film. <laughs> If we're going into the forest, something really strange is going to befall us, right? Or befall the main
2: character. Yes, right. that's so true. An encounter with a monster, with a witch, Mm -hmm. with some supernatural power or some phonic uh, entity that serves a purpose for our own journey. Uh, You know when you're in the forest, you're in for... um, a quest, uh, and a dangerous one, oftentimes one that can feel ominous or scary, but exciting.
1: That, yeah, that it was okay. So let's just key off that um, word "exciting" for a second, Ryan, because I think that's what Pan is all about. But why don't t- tell us uh, mm. more about the the tradition and the um, the archetypal
2: nature of of mm. Pan. I think a good place to start is with paradox. Um, And if we stay with the symbol of the forest just for a moment longer, something that occurred to me uh, is, and then I think about it often is, it's a place where we can get lost, but we also go to find ourselves, um, right? It's a place of uh, renewal, growth, but also decay and decomposition. So So there is a, a paradox here. And when we speak of pan, we're thrown into this uh, archetype that holds a lot of um, contradictions, a lot of paradox. And uh, and in that regard, there there is a lot to teach us. Um, so I think I think I strayed from your original question though, which was tell us about Pan and who Pan is.
1: Yeah, I did, but you know what? I now now I want to interject something, Ryan, because you know, I've been reading a lot of Western literature um recently, and it's so intriguing to me that the 19th century um and early 20th century writers, you know, and I'm talking about Tolstoy and James Joyce, and you know, these are the titans of, of literature. And for them, the forest is. Alienation, it's about alienation, being alienated from one's knowledge of oneself. So that's where the modern world took it from the ancient roots. And we can maybe circle back to this a little bit later, but I think what's really interesting about what you said is that you know, when you're in the forest, there is something that is going to befall you. You're gonna experience something that's going to be deeply mysterious to you right or deeply unsettling or different or you you know um and so i think that the what i'm already hearing is there's something both unsettling and reformative about the setting of the forest do i have that right
2: yeah regenerative Mm -hmm. Um, yes that's that's i think so pertinent and, and salient and, and we can see the, um, the dissociation in Western thinking that, that occurs with the forest being the setting of alienation or symbolizing alienation, that dark- uh, um, Cartesian split and duality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to mention that indi- indigenous cultures don't see it that way. Uh, there is not that dichotomous nature that separates us from the earth. That brings us to Pan, and I think the potential Pan holds for for bringing us into closer contact with our own nature internally, and also nature as we might experience it outside. In Greek mythology, Pan was the god of nature, of of wilderness. He's also the god of shepherds and the, the herds that they watched over, and what's interesting about the iconography, the, the uh, physical traits of Pan is that he has both human attributes, but also animal attributes. He's got these hairy goat legs and hoofs. Sometimes he has horns, but he has the torso of a human and the face most often of a human. And so we can see even in his physical representation, a collision of the animal world of nature and, and, and the human world. What is
1: that? I, I I need to kind of stop you for a second because I, even as a a child, whenever I encountered that man beast, yeah. um, archetype, I was always like so puzzled and almost um frightened by it. What does it mean? What just just that idea alone? What does that mean?
2: I I think it's an expression of our challenge of understanding how do we fit in, uh, into this, this setting of of earth (laughs) into the natural world. Um, we're both a part of it, but there's something that can distinguish us from it. Right. We're, 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 we're
1: of it and we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So now I want to ask you. kind of a question about what Pan's myth served. You know, why did he exist in the canon of mythology? What was his job?
2: A lot of the mythologies that involve Pan bring us into contact with the irrational. Uh, Paul Robichaud wrote a book, uh, it was just published last year, called The Great God Pan's Modern Return. And in it, he mentions that both Dionysus and Pan are associated with irrational states of mind. Dionysus with drunkenness and Pan with panic. And we see Pan there at the root of our word panic, pandemonium, um, pandemic. So the mythologies revolving around Pan are involving this part of our nature that we tend to distance ourselves from, dissociate ourselves from, the non-rational part of our being. And uh, to take that a little bit further, um, Robichaud describes how othered Dionysus and Pan are in the uh, Greek cosmology. Uh, and, and so there's a unique position where they're they're a little more distant from the other gods. So when we think of Pan and his mythology, we are, we are in the world of, of anxiety, of instinct, of nature, of desire. Hillman uh, talks about the twin nuclei of the Pan archetype being anxiety and desire. So we're invited to inquire what is the relationship between these two human experiences, anxiety and desire
1: that's fascinating because all right so you have me you thinking about it um what 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 is your
2: thoughts on what what are your thoughts on that i think that there's a a kind of regulatory dynamic occurring uh, we we have certain desires to try to abate certain anxieties uh, and and yet when we Enact on some desires, we we can sometimes intensify our anxieties, and so there's kind of a feedback loop, I think, between these two human experiences. So it's
1: self-regulatory, is what you're what you're really saying. It's a way to regulate it. too much anxiety around something. Probably, on the other hand, maybe maybe your your desires have gotten out of
2: control. Right, and and the word regu- regulating might be. Uh, mis- miscon misconceiving, though, because uh, I don't think it actually helps to bring an individual or a collective into a better relationship with anxiety and desires. They have a way of amplifying each other. Um, so it's maybe more accurate to say it's like a feedback loop rather than regulatory. I know I use that word. However, I think if we, if we imagine it as it, it's a self-regulatory system, it kind of connotes that it helps with these experiences, but I'm not so sure it does. But if we come into closer uh, contact with Pan, I think there's the potential for moving us into a different relationship with anxiety and desire. And we live in a culture that sells us so much desire, right? And yet anxiety is so ubiquitous and, and, and of you know huge proportions right now. Yeah, I I was thinking about this, Ryan.
1: I'm thinking about we're just kind of, we think we're ending or or, or we're tapering out of a pandemic. You know, we've had upheavals that get talked about in a 24-7 news cycle. Everything we're sold is in lights. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, so we live in this hyper-anxious world. And I, you know, I was reading this fascinating research that's come out on how we're, we're adapting in such a way that we can't shut our neurosystem off that would ordinarily, once the panic is gone, we would settle back in to a regular state of being. We're just staying on. And I, what, what, what are you seeing and what are your thoughts? on where this is taking the collective. I have a
2: lot of thoughts around this. Uh, One salient quality of the Pan mythology that I wanna point out is in relation to Pan's instinctual connection. So how he brings us into contact with our instincts. Well, Carl Jung considered the human ability to reflect as an instinct. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was so revolutionary, such a, such a revolutionary way to think about the human capacity to reflect that it's an actual instinct. And so Pan as a God, as an archetype who embodies the instinctual world also nudges us toward a reflective attitude. Pan is teaching us not to ignore the non-rational side of ourselves, Mm -hmm. including our anxiety our potential to panic, uh, which really just ends up creating those experiences if we ignore them, but instead to come into contact with them, to acknowledge them, to wrestle with them in an effort to gain greater perspective, more agency, and ultimately more substantial and meaningful transformation. And another piece here to note is Hillman uh, describes Pan as the observer as the herdsman above the herd. That's so fascinating because we, we tend to associate Pan as just acting out in a non-rational way, having these desires that are taking control of him. And yet here we see an alternative representation where he is able to gain a, a higher perspective of the patterns of the tendencies that might be occurring in a flock of sheep or in the human psyche.
1: That's so interesting.
2: Yeah, and and I think that relates to what you're talking about in terms of what's happening in the collective. Uh, You know, you termed it as panic culture. I agree with you 100%. That's where we are right now. And we are subjected to the 24 news cycle, uh, no matter how much we might try to pull ourselves away from it. Maybe if we're living off the grid in Alaska or somewhere, you can right. <laughs> you can escape it. But you know that's not uh, a real viable option for for most of us. And I think the consequences of this is fatigue, um, depression, anxiety, and a pervasive dissociation because it's all too much. That makes sense. Of course, it would be.
1: And so. You know, as we think about this the impact of our panic culture, I wonder if there's any way to kind of dial it back. Is the genie out of the bottle, or mm. you know, is this something where it it you have to be responsible for your own consciousness and your own habits? what, what do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I, I I think there 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 is a certain responsibility, and not just individual. I think we're really having to think. In, in a way that extends our sense of self to the other. So if we return to Dionysus and Pan as being these gods who are inherently in a more othered position in uh, Greek mythology, we you know, we can appreciate the importance of understanding our own otherness and and how we relate to Creatures, uh, individuals, aspects of external reality that might be othered.
1: So I want to, I want to kind of go back to the idea of Carl Jung's theory that we are innately seeking as an instinct to reflect. And uh, you know, I, I I think about the timeline that Carl Jung and and Sigmund Freud were working. You know, Carl Jung was out giving reading writing giving lectures on mythology and sigmund freud was out giving lectures on the oedipus complex and you know i think jung knew farewell I, when you read his uh biography he knew full well that where this was going that this was the, you know two paths separating mm-hmm. and and so it was but I think in, in, in taking the choice to look at mythology, it was a very specific choice for Carl Jung. He was embarking on something. Do you, what do you think he was after when he really kind of devoted his adult professional life to studying symbols and archetypes and, and myth?
2: I think he was after uh, meaningfulness a way to understand the ineffable. And myth has the potential to communicate realities that aren't easily captured by language or words. The the images, uh, the the fantastical stories of myth can transport us into a way of thinking that's not linear and, and, and is much more expansive and so i also think of jung as the empiricist eager to understand human nature and going about this in a very pragmatic way mm-hmm. which is contrary to how a lot of people conceptualize jung jung the mystic jung you know uh, this this collective unconscious what's that he was so pragmatic pragmatic and we see that in the word association test we see that in his whole way of thinking and that when he was really honest with himself, he had to admit that there, there are so many aspects to experience that are unexplainable, unknowable. We can get closer to knowing. And I think he saw myth as a way, a very effective way of doing that.
1: I, I also wonder sometimes if you're right, he, he was a, he was a scientist and he was trained as a doctor. So he brought that mind to the business and I think you're right. We overlook it because I think we're still trying to make meaning, existential meaning, out of you know what is the purpose of man, man and woman, and I don't mean that as biogender, but what is our human purpose Mm -hmm. on the planet? Mm -hmm. And I think um, you know some of what you talk about with Pan, it makes a great deal of sense. But I also know that. Pan had a special place in the canon in that I believe he's the only God who really died.
2: I mean, gods
1: are immortal, right?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So what does that mean?
2: Well, I think some of the significance of that is he died when the industrial revolution was really underway there. His death meant that we could extract resources from the planet in a way that's not sustainable. The God of nature died. The one God in the Greek uh, uh, cosmology dies. Interesting. The, The one God who does die is the God of nature, a defender of wild animals, the God of the wilds, who resides at the edge or far beyond human civilization. So, we have a displacement of the earth as possessing this the sacredness, enchantment, and the rise of uh, human society in, in a way that was dissociated from the planet. And I think that's ultimately what, what Pan's death was about, uh, at least in one perspective. And And there's a great, quote uh, by by Hillman he he says when pan is dead then nature can be controlled by the will of the new god man modeled in the image of prometheus or hercules creating from it and polluting in it without a troubled conscience
1: it's very useful to to off pan in order to but 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 i think also i wonder as well if you know the the rise of a new culture that was maybe more based on um a few organized religions you know there's a cultural conflict and i think you see that you know the pagan was a problem yes right <laughs> and so some of it had to be eradicated and what's so interesting to me is the also pan being the god of our instincts is we have also been disassociated from our instincts. Yes, I mean, people have to work very hard. People go into training to reconnect themselves to their own own instincts. I find that fascinating.
2: That's so true, Patricia. Their own bodies, um, there there becomes a a shame around the instinctual side of our being in right. such an intense shame that, that we dissociate from it. We disconnect from it. That's not us. And then uh, the tendency for that to manifest in in other ways that are creating anxiety or, or, mm-hmm. or, or increased amounts of shame. Yeah. It's,
1: it's only bound to generate more neuroticism because uh-huh. you're, you're overlooking something that is innate in you, and it kind of brings us back to where we started, where, you know, you've got Pan as the half god, half goat. And mm-hmm. you know, we are half animal and half human. I mean, on some level, we're, you know, we're primates. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so uh, I wanted to kind of wrap this up. With a, a view to the future, do you see us as a culture coming to a place where we're able to sort of right size the culture instead of this hyperbolic, larger than life, internet generated culture? Do you ever see a place where human beings will reclaim their instincts, reclaim their forest? you know, whether that be mythological or, or, or real,
2: what's your vision? I hope so. (laughs) I think it's important to remember Pan, you know, that this is calling us the the, the various crises socially, ecologically uh, is, is calling us to, to remember a foundational part of ourselves, the the instinctual, our relationship to the natural world, and so I, I think our survival depends on it. Ultimately, um, I think we have a a, a hope or a, a tendency. I find myself sometimes thinking this: that a new technology will save us. You know, if we can find a way to capture carbon from the atmosphere, and put it underground, um, and, and maybe that'll be the case. But that occurring at the exclusion of a deeper relationship with our animal nature, our instinctual side, I don't think that's gonna get us to where we ultimately need to be. There was something you mentioned too, that I thought was very interesting. Hyperbole, the internet and and that brings us into Hermes realm, who was Pan's father in one of the mythologies. And Hermes is this right trickster God, uh, the god of messages. And so what kind of messages are we connecting with? Are we receiving uh, misinformation, too much information? Hermes is very, very constellated alongside Pan. I think. Don't mean to take us to open a door to another, uh, another subject matter here, but that that came to mind as well.
1: Maybe it's a you're opening the door to another conversation, Ryan. That that we can have again. We, I, it's I been a delight that. to have you on Jungi um, Anthology. And I I ask everyone this question, as we wrap up, what's next for Ryan Maher?
2: Well, right now I'm working on writing an article that I hope to publish uh, pertaining to what we've talked about today. So I'm still diving into pan, nature, psyche. Uh, And uh, I'm also really eager to um, research and explore more fully uh, uh, how we understand depth psychology as a very effective way to helping and treating trauma. I think there's a there's there's not a lot of appreciation for how um, efficacious depth psychologies are in the trauma world and you you don't really see much of it in the trauma literature, so I'm eager to to engage with that. What a great professional mission. Ryan,
1: congratulations on your work. We'll post some links to your practice and to your lecture on pan, because I'm sure people will want to really actually click in and listen to everything you had to say about the forest and pan and some of the other archetypes. It's been wonderful to have you. And we look forward to having you back again to talk maybe about Hermes and maybe about another God.
2: Oh, I would love that. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you. It was great. It was.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about training programs, archives, this podcast, or to find a union analyst near Review, visit our website, youngchicago.org. Thank you to our 2021 donors who gave at the contributing member level or above. The Arlene M. Feiner Trust, Barbara Annan, Arlo and Rena Kampan, Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, Carl and Patricia Greer, Ryan Mayer, Patricia Martin, Boris Matthews, Sue Rosenthal, Diane Sherwood, Debbie Stutzman, Lawrence Chad Tingley, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, and Ellen Young. You can also become a supporter of this podcast by visiting our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks.